0: Coming up on today's message with Pastor Johnny. I, I, I love when I see a but God, because we have to understand that a but God can change everything. You may be hurting right now, but God. You may not see your own way out of the problem, but God. You might have sickness in your body, but God. You might have a problem with your family and your family not getting along, but God. You might have thought you were defeated, but Oh Lord, our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be all acceptable in your sight, Lord God. Hide me behind your cross so that they don't see me, but they see you. Allow me to decrease so that you can increase. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Uh, For the time that we're going to spend here, I want to talk a little bit about you are a real piece of work. (laughs) You are a real piece of work. So I recall in my New Testament classes, um, uh, it, it was a trial by fire. One might even say hazing. Uh, when we were doing these uh, these work, and I remember the professor said, "I don't understand because you know we, I I was not a traditional student. We were all at what was called the Houston Galveston Extension, so there was a, a, a pathway for those who wanted to get this master's in divinity, not having to quit their job but still work on their master's degree." And uh, she said, "I don't understand. As hard as seminary is, why you would even dare?" have a job, and try to go to seminary at the same time. And it was evident by when I turned in these exegesis papers, the uh, the uh, uh, exegesis is a big old $5 seminary word that literally means in the Greek to draw out. And so when somebody is properly preaching the text, they are exegeting the text. Uh, then there's this other thing that some some jack legs do every now and then. It's called eisegesis. Uh, that's when you put your own meaning into the text. Uh, But when we were writing, so we had to, in our Bible classes, write what was called exegesis papers, where we would try to draw out what was going on at the time. We get a passage of scripture, and we need to know, well, what city is it in? And what city are they writing to? And what time of year is it in? What are some of the cultures and the norms and the language? And, And are there little nifty things that go on that would only make sense to that? culture. And so because we had to write these exegesis papers and I started off seminary getting a whole bunch of red marks on my papers, one of the things that I got red marks on my papers was that I could not use idioms. An idiom is a group of words established by a usage of having a meaning not, dedu- not deducible to those of the individual words. It's basically a phrase or a metaphor that you use that only makes sense to the people involved but not necessarily to the people on the outside. Or if you tie the words together they don't necessarily mean something. Uh, It's raining cats and dogs. That's an idiom. Uh, I can see the light. That's an idiom. There are phrases, colloquial metaphors that make sense only to the people involved. Uh, there are some things that only make sense, uh, sense to the people involved among this community. Right. Uh, if, if, if two women are having a conversation and the conversation is getting a little loud, and one of the women decides to take their earrings off. Uh-oh. We know what that means. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if, if two gentlemen are having a conversation and he say, hold on, I'm going to go get something out my trunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. We know what these things mean, and it doesn't make sense in the States. And so that's what was going on in the text. The American English is filled with all sorts of idioms that can leave uh, 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 the people a little more confused than need be. The words together mean something that the words separately do not mean. If someone was to say they're under the weather, uh, most Americans would understand that that means that person isn't feeling well. But that phrase does not translate well outside of the United States. A non-American would mean that that means that person's outside. Yeah, you're under the weather. Everybody's under the weather. You stand on the ground. Uh, they might wonder why a person outside and what has to do with them, if you're under the weather, why are you missing work today? We're all under the weather. Um, there's there's uh, other ones. Uh, we need somebody to pitch in or be on the ball or face the music or we can't work with them because every time they get mad, they, get, they pick up their ball and go home. Uh, But then there's also the one that's told from time to time again, you are a real piece of work. And when we say that in a conversation, it's usually not meant in any kind of positive context. But when you look up the history of the word, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, the first use of the phrase piece of work occurred in 1473, and it referred to a product or something manufactured. The actual definition of the word refers to work paid according to the amount produced. Uh, so if I were to pay a contractor for only half the floor, and only half the floor was done, that half the floor is a piece of work. Uh, related to this is uh, when something is outstanding, when the work is outstanding, it's called a masterpiece, which refers to an outstanding piece of art. Uh, But piece of work does not in its original intention mean something bad. So that's what happened in the text today. Paul is calling, when he says in verse 10, "For we are his workmanship," he is calling the people at the church of Ephesus a piece of work, or pieces of work. Uh, in Ephesians two, Paul seems to put this whole idiom, or uh, this idiomatic discussion in a perspective, by comparing the relative value of a product to the one who is doing the making it's a little bit of a of a before and after when you look at the book of Ephesians there's a lot of before and after and when you pay attention to the grammar that's being used there's a little bit of he starts off saying you but then he ends up saying we and the reason he starts off saying you and ends up saying we is because Ephesians is really a book about people coming together uh this the, the following uh, of this this uh rabbi Uh, from Galilee by the name of Yeshua The, the people that were following him at first we call him Jesus but the people that were following him at first were born into Jewish heritage because Jesus was a Jew Jesus was a devout Jew And so in following these people, but then there was something that was good about what he did for us. There was something that was good about him coming down and living a life that none of us could live and die a death that none of us could die. It was something good about him becoming this perfect sacrifice that they decided that, hey, we can't just hold this on to the people who were born into it. If there are people who were not born into it, we need to adopt them into the family as well. And so you had these churches that were coming together, and when they were coming together, you had some people that was born and raised in that particular church, and they were there. And then there were some people that were not born and raised in the church and came a little later in life. And what do you know? Church folk not getting along. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being a part of a church and there are people who are third and fourth generations and and, and then when some new people come along and try to do something a little different, they don't get along with them? Can you imagine that? Uh -uh. Where would something like that happen? (laughs) And so there's this you and this we language when you look at the book of Ephesians in its entirety because there are Jews and Gentiles that are coming together and being united under Jesus Christ. Uh, so there are for and after. And then he talks about these human beings that are before putting their faith in Christ. Uh, before following the way. Before getting saved. They, they, they are subject to the rulers of the power of the air. Ah. Uh, Uh, The language shifts from you to we in the text, but I look at it and it says, uh, you were made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Big old metaphorical language talk for saying you was basically before you was following Christ, you was following uh, the devil. But not necessarily the devil because they talk about the prince of the power of the air and they would argue that everything that is secular, everything that is worldly, uh, the enemy has control over. Uh, but then we have this, this next verse in, in verse 3 where it says, among whom, we also, who, whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling our desires of the flesh of the mind, and were nature children of wrath, just like the others. Uh, gonna step on some toes. Get get prepared to say ouch. Uh, but when Paul is talking about this, he's bringing up the fact that sometimes when you mess up, the devil ain't make you do it. Sometimes when you mess up, it's not the result of some demonic possession is not the it's not the enemy coming against you sometimes you cussed that person out because you wanted to cuss that person out sometimes you got yourself a side piece because you wanted to get yourself a side piece sometimes you wanted to be dishonest with your money because you wanted to be dishonest with your money the devil did not make you do it okay. is the microphone still working <laughs> Says among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. Sometimes when you out there bad, you out there bad on your own. You done planned how you gonna get out there bad. You done came up with the excuse that you was gonna make when it's time to do it, if in case you get caught. You done figured out whether or not what it is you want, and you lust. Lust is not just about these physical desires for the for for, for companionship. Sometimes it's about wanting things you ain't supposed to have. Yes, sir. yes. And so it talks about these things and it says that we are giving up to our own desires. So they're out there acting bad and, and ain't nobody pushing them over the edge. we pushing ourselves over the edge. And then when we push our own selves over the edge, we want to come back with our hat in our hands. Another idiom. Uh we come back with our hat in our hands, and we want to say lord i 'm sorry for what i did I, I was defeated by the enemy. Pray for my strength in the lord you wasn 't defeated by the enemy. you defeated yourself and so he says that they were they they were they were they were f- Conducting themselves in the lust of their own flesh and disf- fulfilling their own desires. But God, who is rich in mercy. We, I, I love when I see a but God because we have to understand that a but God can change everything. You may be hurting right now, but God You may not see your own way out of the problem, but God. You might have sickness in your body, but God. You might have a problem with your family and your family not getting along, but God. You might have thought you were defeated, but God. Uh, But God, who was rich in mercy, we don't deserve the grace and mercy that we are given. We don't deserve it. If we were to get our portion, we'd all be in hell lifting up our eyes. But God, who was rich in mercy, you can't complete with all of the laws and not break not one of them. But, now let me stop right there. Yes, you cannot get all of the laws done and you can't be perfect, but that don't mean you don't try. Amen. We don't get in up here and say, "Well, you know, I can't, I can't be good anyway, so I might as well just do what I want." We we still got to try. You still got to put in an effort. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love, which He loved us even when we were dead in trespasses, Christ made us alive together. Uh, uh, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved it's that unmerited favor it's something that you can't deserve it's something that you will not be able to work your way on it's the love of God that is sa- it's the love of God the act of mercy and because it's this act of mercy and, and God's mercy endures forever because of this is what is done we all have access to salvation and so we have all of these people coming together. And he says that they are pieces of work. And there's a a, a before to it. Paul begins plainly explaining that the, before they were coming to Christ, they were dead to their trespasses and sins and co- following the course of this world, the ruler of the power of the air. And, and uh, some theologians suggest that because Paul uses both trespasses And sins is 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 some sort of way of trying to delineate between the Jews and the just Gentiles, where where uh the Jews just trespassed and the Gentiles sinned. So because you got some sort of status, it's a little bit mistake. But if you ain't got the status, it's a big mistake. And one of them saying that the former knowing that they were trespassing is is then is, the latter is unaware and I would argue that if you trespass if you know that you're wrong and you do wrong, it's a little different than not knowing you're wrong and doing wrong nah, and then they're saying that before the faith in christ. He was saying there are pieces of work that are driven by the passions of their flesh, following the desires of their flesh and their senses. And and, and we aren't what we are created to be when we operate like that. And it's all because we allowed ourselves to be shaped by the course of this world. We went to look at what was going on on the outside and said, I like that. I want to be like that. Now, I'll be the first to argue that there are some things that are done secularly that I think uh, could be done, uh, we, could, we could copy off of. There are some things that are done secularly that we could follow. Did you know that there is a church of, of, of uh, humanitarians that meets on Sundays? Amen. And they got an auditorium full of people. And they play music. They sing songs they pass a collection plate around somebody gets up towards the end of this gathering and talks a little bit and tells them about how to move through life and how to get day to day and 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 what what kind of way they should act and they meet every sunday but not one person in that room believes in jesus christ Mm. it's a room full of atheists They are essentially just playing church. That's it. Amen. But I would argue that there are some churches where you get up Mm. and sing some songs and play some music. And somebody gets up and talks and and tells them what to do with life. And and then they pass a plate around and collect some money for charity. And and, and nobody in there is really believing. We all playing Mm. church. That's a sermon for another Sunday. All right. uh, he's telling them that, that, they are, that they are following their own desires. And because they are following their own desires, they are being pieces of work before. But then when we get to verse 10, it talks about the redeemed. Uh, it talks about that, that, that what's going on is, 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 is not the end. We are saved by grace through faith. We are saved by grace, meaning we cannot work our way out of this. Uh, We get this gift that is given to us. We don't deserve it, but it is given to us anyway. And I like how Wesleyans have come to break down. That faith, that grace, uh, that prevenient grace that, that covers us before we realize we're being covered. Kind of like being in a, in a porch or a portico of a house. You are under the protection of the house, but you're not necessarily in the house. Right. And in that justifying faith, when you are made right, when you justify something, you align it to the correct way that justifying grace when you come through that threshold of the house and decide to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And then that sanctifying grace. When you are in the house, you don't need some of the things that you had on the outside. On the outside, you might have been a little bit under the weather and there might have been some rain going on and there might have been some snow or some wind or some hail. You don't need that umbrella anymore. You don't need that jacket. You don't need those rain boots. But when you get into the house... There are some rules you got to follow. Amen. You can't just walk up into some people's houses and walk past them and not speak. Oh. Amen. You can't just walk up into somebody's house and walk in and take food out the refrigerator without asking. Amen. There are some rules to follow. And just like you are in that house, when you are in the house of the Lord, there are some rules to follow. Where can we find those rules? All right. Come on. But we are saved by grace. Through faith, so that even if we mess up on the rules, we try our hardest. We try our hardest to follow those rules and still falter. I ain't talking about you going out and messing up and then coming back in a perpetual cycle of saying, I'm sorry. I'm talking about the actual messing up. Mm -hmm. There's still that grace, Mm -hmm. that mercy that God saw fit to remove us from our state of sin. To pardon us of our sins. And so we're redeemed. And a closer reading of verse 10 uh, shows the impact of being redeemed. The, the new revised standard version reads, what are what, we are what he has made us. The King James Version offers a, 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 another, a more literal translation saying, namely, we are his workmanship. God has made us his workmanship his handcrafted artwork, his artistry. We ourselves are the work of God that he creates in us to do good works. We are created to do good works for God. And this is the source of our condition as one's redeemed by the initiative of God. And so because we've been redeemed, we got to do something about it. We can't just take our redeemed status and come to church on Sunday and say, oh, it's so great to be saved, and that be the end of it. Time and time again in Matthew and James, they say over and over again what we're supposed to be doing. Well, what did James say that the, the true religion is to take care of the widows and the orphans? And Matthew tells us to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and bind up the wounds of the afflicted. It also tells us to love God with all our heart and all our mind and all our soul and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But if you don't want to talk about that, we can go all the way to Genesis. In chapter 12 with Abraham, verses 12, 1 and 2, he says, "I ble- get out of your country and, and get out of, uh, from where your people are. And then he says that I will bless you. And you will be a blessing. Mm -hmm. I will bless you. Mm -hmm. And you will be a blessing. It's not just. We're not just supposed to sit on our status. We've been saved by grace through faith. And because we've been saved by grace through faith. We got to go out and spread the word to the other people. Secondly, it follows the good works for which we are created. We are connected to our being the product of God's own work, forming a connection between the work of the redeemed and the work of the redeemer. So, and thirdly, we, we are, are, are here to let us know what God has done in the past uh, to redeem us and prepare us to serve God presently and continue to bear fruit in the future. Yeah. And so that's why he starts off saying, and you He have made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. That's the you. And then in which you walked according to your own course of the world. That's you. And then he goes from what you did to we. We all once conducted ourselves in the flesh. Even when we were dead in verse 5, we were dead and prayed. And then in verse 6 it says, and raised us up together. So it starts off with the You. Because you got a Jew talking to some Jews and some Gentiles. But when we get to the end and understand that we are all his workmanship. Uh, we are in this Lenten season. And this Lenten journey, sometimes it, it, we get into a place where we get stagnant. And we just counting the days between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. We just counting the days down. But this, is, this Lenten journey, I would challenge you all to, to not get stagnant. Understand that we need to remain spiritually engaged. We are all his workmanship and understand that this went from a you to we. And we are redeemed. Uh, We need to turn away from the living death of sinfulness and move towards the true life of salvation. And it'll take a lot of work. Uh, But the holy work that God has given us, uh, the Holy Spirit will help us to move forward. And he'll do, he'll redeem us. And the holy work that God expects of us, he will equip us to do. Because of God's grace, because of what God has done, we can understand that we are a piece of work. Amen. We are the handicraft work, the artwork, the, the, the masterpiece that has been made. But not only are we a piece of work, we can look all around here and I can say that you all are pieces of work. Uh, Those who seem to be hopeless cases, you are still a piece of work of the Lord. Those who may not have the education that they think they need, you are still a piece of work. Somebody may have left you for dead, but you are still a good piece of work. You may not have a friend, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, so you are still a piece of work. You may have some problems, but you are still a piece of work. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord will carry them out. You are all still a piece of work. And if you've been transformed by God's grace, you ought to know that you are a masterpiece. If we've been transformed by God's grace ourselves, we should testify to that fact and let other people know that they can experience the same thing that has been done for you in Christ. That's a big part of the work that we are supposed to do. We are the masterpieces that are supposed to go out there and let everybody else know that you are a masterpiece as well. Because if God can do it for me, he can do it for you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come. Thank you for listening to this message. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher or wherever you found this message. If this message blessed you, be a blessing to someone else and share it. Connect with Pastor Johnny on Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to like Faith UMC Dickinson on Facebook.